The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We've been talking a lot about wisdom, and so what is wisdom? Um, What is, how do you think about what wisdom is? What does it do for you? What is its purpose in life? What is its function? What what is wisdom? I mean, I don't know about um, how you orient towards it. I have, um, for a lot of my life, oriented towards wisdom as... Um, all those things you learn from other people who've made mistakes so that you don't make the same mistakes. How to avoid making mistakes in life. Um, Some of you may think about uh, wisdom as um, how do I get things right in my life? How do I make sure that I'm orienting in the world correctly? How do I make sure that I'm doing the right thing? Um, Wisdom is often described as something that you don't get until right after you need it. Um, Wisdom is kind of this uh, it's difficult to kind of pin down exactly what wisdom is, um, primarily because wisdom, we, at least for me, I tend to think of wisdom as this list of like subcategories of do's and don'ts, right? Here's the big do's and don'ts. You got the big 10, right? The big 10, uh, you know, don't worship other idols, you know, don't steal stuff, you know, those type of things. Big 10. And then this, uh, I tend to think of wisdom as kind of being like all those kind of like um, softer, but still clear do's and don'ts, um, how to, you know, basically not screw your life up. And wisdom is not so much about how not to screw your life up, but it tends to be more about what is your life um, aiming at and what is the path that you are following to who you're going to become, right? You should want to be wise, right? We all, everybody loves like Yoda and all these like wise people that are like super cool and wise, but wisdom is less about being a Yoda or a cookie cutter, like a, one of those Chinese cookie things. What are they called? Fortune cookies? There we go. One of those things. Um, and more about a path that we are following. And that's why in this passage, this chapter we just read, you'll notice that there's all these kind of vignettes of wisdom. It's kind of like stories of, here's a little story about, I saw, I saw princes walking on dirt, and I saw fools um, riding on, on uh, horses. Right, and you're like, what's going on with that, right? How does flies and ointment help me live a wise life? Because, I mean, unless, I will say this, I, I use no beauty products at all. I know that's a shock to you, so I never have to worry about um, flies getting into my ointment <laughs> that I use. But how does that relate to my life becoming a wise person? And so, as we have been working through the book of Ecclesiastes, we now are getting towards the end and the, the teacher is helping us orient towards with all of this reality of death and impermanence and instability in life and yet good things. How do we follow after God? How do we walk a wise path? What does wisdom look like so that we live kind of on the other side of finishing Ecclesiastes? That's kind of what this is at. We're going to finish up next week. But this week, here's what I want to kind of pull out for us and then we'll kind of dive into this. And at the very end of verse 10, it says, wisdom helps one to succeed. In the midst of all of these kind of like weird stories or vignettes or kind of little um, comic strips, so to speak, there are these little statements or in the midst of all that is a statement, wisdom helps one to succeed. So the main point of what we're going to be seeing here in chapter 10, I think, is follow God's wisdom for a lifetime of change, right? This is not something that we're going to read through this and you're going to think, Golly, now, Monday morning, I am a wise person. I have finally arrived. These are, we're going to look at four kind of categories of what does wisdom look like? What is the pathway of wisdom 
as we follow God's wisdom for a lifetime of change. These are things that we are going to see lived out in our lives. And so what does wisdom's path look like in our lives? Wisdom path, we're going to pick up in verse 1. Wisdom's path looks like this. Wisdom's presence brings peace. Right, this is kind of, I know, a big, cat- a broad category. Um, but what we're, going to, what we're seeing here in this is the fool is talked a lot about through chapter 10. And uh, in, in a very, very real sense, we are supposed to look at these kind of stories as uh, photo negatives. And I realize that that's actually maybe like a totally archaic term because we just take phones, or we take pictures on our phones. Did anybody have like a photography class or like actually like develop film at any point in your life? Like, okay, you know what, like, so in the old days, right before five years ago, <laughs> you would take a picture and then the picture would look black and white and you couldn't expose it to light. And then you would take that to the photo developer and he would turn that into a color picture. Right? So I'm just, sorry, I feel like, I'm not trying to draw this out, I'm just saying, a photo negative is the opposite of what you're looking for. <laughs> and so a, a photo negative is the uh, dark contrast, and then you flip it over to see what you're, you're supposed to be finding. And so that's what we're looking at here. Verses 1 to 4, a photo negative of what wisdom is, is seen in the life of a fool. So, dead flies make an ointment, make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, and a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks in the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Okay, so what's going on here? First of all, uh, whenever there is a mention of right and left, um, I am reminded by our study group for Ecclesiastes that I need to mention, this is not a statement about politics, right? This is not saying, ah, those people to the left, they are the fools. All those Democrats, they're fools. And then all those people to the right, they're the righteous ones. They're the ones that are commended by this passage. This is not thinking politics. Actually, in the biblical narrative, left going to the left or to the right is actually both foolishness. And this, the Deuteronomy calls out the straight and narrow path, so to speak, as being the path of wisdom, following God. And so, in a certain sense, this isn't really commending right or left ways. It's just saying, like, people choose the ways that they're going to go. And the fool is the one that's kind of pulled out and said, look, this guy, everybody knows that he is an absolute idiot, right? The picture here is one that the fool doesn't even notice of what he's doing, right? I'm sure that we all kind of have these friends who are just kind of like, does so-and-so have any self-awareness <laughs> that his life is a complete train wreck and that it just destroys everybody else around him and everybody has to kind of like pick up after him and he just is constantly bringing chaos into the room, into other people's lives because it's all about him. He can't even begin to see um, how he is destroying other people's lives, right? The, the, there is a destructive element, right? You see that, uh, in verse 1, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. There is so much good going on, and yet when a fool arrives, things are just, they just destroyed, right? Thanksgiving dinner is destroyed. People walk out. They're angry and, and mad. The fool is so destructive that he brings chaos into the lives of everybody around him. And so the photo negative, the, the, real, the, the photo that we are supposed to see in this is that the wise person, though they are not guaranteed the outcomes, right, that right to left, those aren't necessarily commended, they're just stated, they're, con- they're concerned 
that their presence brings peace to their neighbors. I think I see this here in verse 4. If the anger of the ruler, you're in a situation where you're in front of your boss, rises against you, right, do not leave your place. The fool, from verses 2 and 3, would have impulsively ejected, right? I'm out of here. This doesn't fit my agenda. I am gone. But the wise is commended. Do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Right? There's a part of me that wonders if um, Proverbs 15.1 is in view here. I, this isn't on the slide, but a soft answer turns away wrath while a harsh word stirs up anger. Right? A soft word turns away wrath. There is something commended in the way a wise person conducts themselves under pressure that brings peace to the situation rather than the impulsive, chaotic mess of a fool. Right? I, I wonder if in this, the reason I'm calling this as wisdom's presence brings peace is that um, there is a certain level that wisdom can handle and lives under the pressures of circumstances, whereas the fool impulsively just does whatever feels right and gets out of under the pressure, often creating more chaos than is needed. Jesus talks about us being uh, peacemakers in the Beatitudes. He says, Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are called the sons of God. What it means to be a son of somebody is that you reflect your father. You reflect the, your parents' image. You reflect who you are in the family with. And so those who are in the family of God, much like verse 4, in pressure situations, they are leaning into finding peace with their presence. They are leaning in towards uh, helping situations begin to calm down. Right? The, the fool, verses 1 to 3, you can just kind of begin to feel the chaos of what his life is like. And yet the wise is the one that brings peace into the circumstances. If you want to be someone who is on the path of wisdom, a self-evaluative question is to say, does my presence bring chaos into the room, into my relationships, into my work? Does my presence bring peace? Right? Folly, foolishness, reacts. Wisdom pauses and considers what is best to bring peace and resolution in the situation. Right? We're not saying that you have to be uh, perfect at this. This is not like a, uh, a list of do's and don'ts. This is a pathway. Right? So this is why I take comfort a little bit in verse 1 where it says, um, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Right? I take comfort in that to say, even if you are walking in wisdom and honor, a little folly is just kind of to be expected. <laughs> it comes along. Um, if you've ever been on a date, um, sometimes a date can turn into an expensive argument, right? You're out to dinner and you're like suddenly like the wrong things are said and one thing leads to another and you're just paying for an expensive argument. To, um, you know, it's a $50 bill on an argument you could have had for free in the car, but now we're paying for it, right? A little bit of just something that you just kind of, you just say something and it's just a little folly just outweighs all the best intentions of getting the babysitter lined up everything good, we got the money in the bank, we're going to the dinner, and just a little bit of, hey, so why'd you do that at the house? Or like some snide comment, and now a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor, right? 
it is not so much that you have to be perfect and being a peaceful, a peacemaker in, in your life. It is that, that you lean into um, how do I walk a path of peace in this situation. So in that situation, you now have the freedom to repent for being a jerk, guys. Uh, <laughs> at least for me. That, I, I can only speak for my part of the marriage. I am the jerk 100% of the time. Um, but right, perfection is not the path of wisdom. Right, as we begin to talk through these things, you're going to, there's ways in which it's going to strike you one way or the other. Is your, is your presence in your marriage, is your presence in your friendships, is your presence as a roommate, is your presence as a coworker, is your presence in your school, is it one that leads towards and embraces the stress and strain, but moves towards peace and resolution? There's going to be ways in which we fail. But the reality is, as we talk about wisdom, the overarching theme of the Bible is that the wisdom of God bends towards the cross of Christ. And it is that cross that makes peace with us. It is Christ's presence with us under the wrath of God for our sins that makes peace with us. And that is the wisdom that secures our presence with God. That is the wisdom that secures our ability to have our follies exposed and to repent and find peace with others and peace, peace with God my wisdom does not secure God's peace with me, but God's wisdom in the cross of Christ does. And so as we talk about these things of wisdom, I just want us to remember the wisdom of God leads towards the cross, and that is what secures our ability to be total mess-ups as we follow after God's wisdom for our lives to find growth and change. So when you mess up, bring that foolishness out and say, God, I've caused this chaos in my relationship again. Would you help me bring peace by your spirit into this relationship and into this experience of where I need your help? So we're going to continue to move on with what we find wisdom doing. But this wisdom is a, a, a brings pre, uh, wisdom's presence not only brings peace, but wisdom's efforts. Now we're going to see verse 5 to 11 are prudent. I realized I was concerned that that was an uh, archaic word and then Mike used it in praying for us. And so I was like, ah, people still know the word prudence. Um, isn't, dear prudence, isn't that like a, an opinion column or whatever? An advice column? Right. What is that? What's the publication? New Yorker? Something snazzy? Slate. Yes. Those guys, Slate. Dear prudence. Uh, anyhow, getting off track here. Verses 5 to 11, there's an evil that I see, I've seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. And then we're going to kind of see all these kind of like uh, blue-collar experiences of how we see um, uh, folly played out. He who digs a pit will fall into it. A serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who, he who queries stones will, is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and, does not sharpen, and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. Okay, so in the midst of all these kind of stories of what, what you may call vignettes, little comic book strips, what is going on? I, the, I think what's going on here is that we are seeing again in photo negative, wisdom, wisdom's efforts are prudent. So I want to kind of lean into showing how that 
is going on. So, uh, Dr. Seo, uh, uh, my understanding, a Japanese scholar on the book of Ecclesiastes, his commentary has been fantastic. He comments, the world seems to have gone, in this situation, the world seems to have gone mad. The normal order of things is, seems to have been turned upside down. So you see that here in verses one to, or 5 to eight, 7, right? This is an evil I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler, ru- from the ruler. folly is set on high places, and the rich sit in the low place, right? There is a turning upside down. I have seen slaves on horses, right? Those people who, uh, who are uh, subjected to, um, to masters, they're sitting on horses, and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Uh, so it's not clear what exactly the context of Ecclesiastes is because we don't exactly know kind of like the, the, the date and time of when Ecclesiastes was written, but the, the scholarly consensus is that uh, the world was in some way turned upside down. Uh, this begins to feel very relevant <laughs> to our contemporary situation of how we feel. Whether you're watching CNN or Fox News, it feels like uh, the world has been turned upside down and being shaken out for all its change, right? It, who, what is going on right now, whether that was literal or figurative, the world is in absolute chaos in what's going on here, right? So you have slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Again, this could be literal, or it could be figurative, right? That's the purpose of the wisdom literature. It forces you to think, right? That person that's in that role, that's this high position, they could actually be just a total goof. They had no clue what's going on in the world. And yet the people that actually should be in that role are the janitors, right? That's kind of what it's saying. Like That requires wisdom to kind of begin to assess who, what's the character of somebody? What's going on here? What, what is, who... Who is actually deserving of the roles that they're in? That's kind of what it's, it's kind of, it's calling you in to consider something that we all kind of feel, right? When you see somebody that, maybe it's a pastor <laughs> whose name happens to be Jacob. <laughs> You're like, that guy just seems like he has no clue what's going on. So why is he in charge? Well, that's called wisdom. Um, <laughs> um, verses 5 to 11, I'm sorry, verses 8 to 11 Right, we see all these kind of situations of uh, kind of occupational hazards, you might say. Right, somebody digs a pit in the old in the ancient world. What they would do is they would go into the forest, they would dig a pit, put spikes in it, and then kind of cover it with underbrush so that when they kind of herded uh, animals into the forest, they fall into the pit. There they are. They're spiked. There we got dinner. Right, that's kind of how that's described. Uh, or, and it is not uncommon for them to have fallen into their own pit because they couldn't see because they just masked it. They just covered it up, and so they fall into the very thing that they've done. It's an occupational hazard, right? A serpent, while you're building a, a stone wall between fields, you're not putting brick and mortar in. You're just kind of piling up the rocks like you see all these New England walls around here, and in the midst of all those is uh, creepy things that come out and bite you, right? That's kind of what's seen here in the verse 8. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, right? If you've ever been doing, like, um, breaking up stones or doing something that's kind of dangerous, right? That's where you were. Wear protective eyeglasses, children, and wear protective ear goggles because you're going to hurt yourself and you just know that something's going to go wrong the way you didn't expect it. So that's kind of what's in view here, right? And then finishing out, but wisdom helps one to succeed. Strangely enough, it's wisdom, not strength, that's in view here that helps one to succeed. So he's calling out, you need to be considering what's going on in these situations. And he says, and if a serpent bites before it's charmed, there's no advantage, right? Don't... Uh, don't uh, call the job finished before it's done. Finish the job completely. So these are all occupational hazards. 
And what he is calling out here is prudence, right? He's saying a little consideration, right? That's why we hear at verse end of verse 10, wisdom helps one to succeed. It is a consideration of the circumstances of your life. What is going on? Consider a little bit of precaution helps. Okay, moving forward. Even those who are wise, right? It's one of the funniest things when I do computer work um, and something breaks, like in the code or whatever, it's like somebody inevitably says, uh, well, that shouldn't be happening. It's like, well, that doesn't matter. It is happening, and we need to figure out how to fix this problem, fix the coding or whatever it is. Like, thinking through, um, well, that shouldn't happen. It's like, well, it's a computer. Like, what do you expect? It's going to break, and something's wrong. So, a little precaution, a little, um, and it is impl- uh, a little consideration for how life can go sideways is critical to walking in wisdom. Now, here's what I want to pull out here before we move on, because I feel like that's pretty generally, like, pretty obvious, right? It's, like, standard. But if you notice in each of these stories, it is individuals that kind of get themselves into trouble. It's individuals who do, are doing their own thing in their own way that ultimately kind of trip up and fail. In some way, they bring uh, foolishness into their lives because they're on their own. And yet, end of verse 10 but wisdom helps one to succeed. It is though making friends with wisdom, getting outside of your own ex- head, getting outside of your own ex- expectations, getting outside of yourself, and having an, a third-party objective view of your life is critical to walking in wisdom. In a certain sense, what I think this means is that if you are on your own, doing life your own way, in your own, in your own strength, in your own wisdom, you are going to regularly screw up. But to the extent that you invite others into your life, invite others into have perspective, invite others into helping you think through what your life looks like and what you should be doing and how to kind of assess the situation, you are beginning to walk in wisdom. Right? How many times have I had people that have said, oh, uh, so-and-so is wise. Well, so-and-so has no accountability to anybody and continually brings chaos into their relationships and organizations. Right? It is often some of the most foolish things I see people do is when they're acting impulsively and alone. Nobody, they've had nobody in their lives to say, um, hey, have you thought about fill in the blank? Right? Have, have you... They haven't invited it, and then nobody has taken the initiative to say, hey, you know, maybe, maybe you shouldn't spend $1,000 on buying, purchasing land on Mars. I don't know. Maybe that's not the best use of 1000 bucks because you can do that now. I saw that on Facebook, if it's true. Um, <laughs> so as you are looking to walk in wisdom, right, I think about this, the word prudence. I have this slide I, I passed over. This. I, this is too good to, ba- to not go back and circle back to. Do you guys know... Who in the room knows who George H.W. Bush is? Right. We all kind of generally know. So Dana Carvey did a fantastic impression. Can we throw this slide up? I just I, I feel like it's too good of a pop culture reference to pass up. It should be in there. Is it? It's not? Oh, I'm, I'm disappointed in myself because that's probably my fault. But Dana Carvey did this incredible impression of J- George H.W. Bush where he would constantly talk about prudent, you know, that wouldn't be prudent, right? And then they actually, George H., he was on SNL. I feel like I'm getting lost now. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Boom, there we go. See? Right there. Those guys. See? 
Dana Carvey doing an impression of H.W. Bush, always talking about prudence, like what's prudent in this situation. Actually, they became friends. Um, thank you guys for accommodating my uh, mistake. They became friends. Actually, they, they had a great friendship, and that was going to be my illustration. I totally passed over it, but I felt like it was too good to not circle back and just say, making friends with other people in the community of Jesus to help you live your life is a part of living out what it means to be wise. All right. Are we totally on track, or are we, on, are we off, off base? Should we just close it up now? Are we good? Can we keep going forward? I, I need heads nod. Yes. Okay. We're, <laughs> okay. And you at home, you can just type in your Facebook comments. I'll see them later. Um, all right. Verse 12. Here we are. Verse 12. Wisdom's path not only is efforts, uh, wisdom's efforts are prudent, right? They invite others into the situation to help them get a little uh, perspective. Wisdom's words give life. Verses 12 to 15. Wisdom's words give life. The, wor- the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. Again, the photo negative. But the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what is to be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Right? Again, photonegative, right? Wise, wor- wise use their words to win favor, right? They, their, their words are endearing to others. They, they give life. They bring um, health to a situation. But the lips of a fool, they consume him, right? He is absolutely caught in his words, and his words are used to bring destruction and chaos and death to other people's lives, right? That is the way uh, the fool talks. In verse 15, the toil of a fool, right? You're right. If you're reading along, right, it's words, 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 and then it talks about toil. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. The New Living Translation uh, pulls this out and says, fools are so exhausted at a little work that they can't even find their way home. Right? I just kind of find that translation. They're so exhausted by a little work that they can't find their way home. And I think this is tagged on to all these things about words, is that a fool can talk his way into anything and talk his way into any excuse or belittling or chaos, but once he's kind of talked his way out, he kind of forgets who he is and he doesn't even know what he's doing. Right? Have you ever talked to somebody where you're just kind of like, bro, like you just talked for 30 minutes straight. I legitimately have no idea what we were talking about the entire time. Like I have no concept of where we started 30 minutes ago and now I'm completely lost. That's what fool's words are just so consuming that they just kind of take up the room and they take the life out of the, out of the conversation. That's what is uh, in view here. So, um, this to me, these, this whole thing about words, I, we could probably just do a whole sermon about this because I feel like it's so incredibly relevant today. How many words are we seeing in our Facebook feed or Twitter feed or whatever, or TikTok, if you do the TikToking? <laughs> I don't do the TikToking, <laughs> but how many words on the news and the media are just so draining that it's just so like debilitating just to get on and just to, to process all of what's being said? I can't believe that so and so posted that again. You know, whatever it is, like, and I'm not thinking of anybody in particular in the church. Like, that's not who's in view when I think. Of, I'm thinking of Jay. Yeah, I'm. I am thinking of Jay actually. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe that Jay posted that picture again. Um, No. (laughs) No, that's not what I'm thinking at all. I'm just thinking, 
the, the purpose of our words is to be a life-giving, grace-giving experience with other people. And yet it just seems like everything is so vile and so destructive today. It just feels like we constantly feel this. So what I want to do, rather than kind of delve into going on a rant about all that, is just get back to the Bible and just ask a few questions based on these verses. Verse 13, the photo negative of the foolish words are the beginning of words of his mouth is foolishness and the end of his talk is evil madness. The fool has no idea what he's talking about, right? So the question for do your words give life, are your words used to give life to other people is, do you know what you're talking about? I know this is a simple question, but do you, do you know what you're talking about, right? So for example, when we, I have found it so confusing to talk about when we, the, all the COVID dynamics and pandemic and what, whose guidelines do we follow and bringing the service back together. What we have done is we've decided we're going to follow whatever the Manchester Public Health Department says. That is our source of knowledge because I think that they probably know better for Manchester than anybody, than the CDC, than whoever else. What do we need to follow? So we're going to follow what their guidelines are. They know what they're talking about. I do not. <laughs> so I'm going to follow what they say. When you're talking about something, do you know what you're talking about? Right? That we, do, you, do your words reflect a sense of humility that I have a few areas of expertise in life, and then there's a bunch that I don't know what I'm talking about. Right? I can Wikipedia that thing. I still don't know what I'm talking about. So verse 13, do you know what you're talking about? Do your words give life? Do you know what you're talking about? Verse 14, a fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be and who can tell him what will be after him, right? So verse 14, my question for are your words giving life is, do you listen, right? How many of us have been in a conversation where somebody just like, I, 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 want, I, I want to interject, but we're still 10 minutes in and they, they, do they take a breath? Because they seem to still be talking when they're breathing. And so they keep talking like, my, I won't name any of my children, but one of my children has the ability to not only tell a joke, explain the joke, tell the joke, re-explain it, but continue that on. He actually has developed a practice of being able to talk while he's breathing in. And I don't know how he does it, but it's a highly, highly useful skill to cut me off from being able to say, thanks, buddy. <laughs> so do you, if you know my children, you know exactly who I'm talking about. But because this is recorded and I don't want to shame him in public, anyhow, Verse 14, do you, do you listen, right? You can't use your words to give life, right? You cannot, the wise word, the, verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. You cannot win favor. You cannot give life. You cannot be a blessing to others with your words unless you are listening for where you're trying to aim your words at, right? You can't hit the target with your words unless you know what you're aiming at. Like, that's the whole point of listening. What am I trying to say? I'm not listening so that I can, like, just wait till they're done so I can get my point in. I'm listening so that I know what my words can do to help this specific person with their specific needs. All right, we could go off on that, but James, book of James, verse, uh, chapter 1, he talks about being quick to listen, slow to speak. That's what this verse is talking about. So, verse 15, the toil of the fool wearies him, for he does not know his way to the city. So, this is, as we were saying earlier, I think what this is saying is, in a certain sense, a fool talks his way into not even knowing who he is or where he's from. So my question from this is, because in Jesus, your home 
is heaven and your bank account is grace? Do you use your words to help people see and experience the grace of Christ? I know that is like, well, how do you get there? Well, I'm just saying, if a fool's words reflect his home, which is he has no idea who he is or where, he is, where, he's, where he's going, the wise person's words reflect their home, their city, where they belong, and they say, I want to make sure that people experience the grace of Jesus Christ. They experience grace. So you have Paul saying in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only as such as is good for building up as fits the occasions. They may give grace to those who hear. Right? We want to draw people into an experience of knowing who they are and where they're from. And so, do you speak to give grace? Right? Do your words fit the occasion, or are they just kind of meandering and bumbling along? Right? Do your, do your words see and understand the person in front of you so that you are serving them rather than just kind of like getting something off your chest? I know that one's a little bit kind of like, ah, maybe, but we're trying. So, verse 16, we're going to pick up here, and we're going to close this out. Wisdom's politics are shrewd. So, wisdom's politics are shrewd. Listen to this with me. I, I promise I will not go into much political commentary. That's not like my forte or my game. But the passage almost demands it because it's talking about politics. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happier are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth, of the, uh, through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter and wine for gladness, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, and some winged creature will tell the matter. So, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to say this is directly about uh, President Trump. That's not my job nor do I think that that would be a direct application. I think, in general, what this is talking about is it is a lamentable situation when, you're, when our rulers, when our governing officials are just so childish in how they behave. We all begin to feel the, just the chaos and the decay of our lives and, and social stability when it's just kind of like, can we just have an adult in the room, please? Can we just, can we, can somebody? That, there's like what? 500 something, how many senators are there, or congressmen are there? Aaron knows. <laughs> 535, see, I was close, like 500, I was like, I'm kind of like generally up, like I know it's down, you know, so, uh, and so there's like, you know, what, 535 senators, etc. with um, how many states are there still, like well, there's 50, there's 50 states still, thankfully, you know, and so, so there's 50, and then you got the plus one with the VP, right? So, right, so you, you've got, you know, what, close to like a high 500 in the, in the Congress. I'm just saying we often feel this, whether you are lean politically left or whether you lean politically right, we all just kind of feel like, can we just have an adult in the room, please? Please, God, just somebody. Woe to you, O land, when your king, when your governing officials is a child and the princes feast in the morning. Right, this is awful. This feels very similar to the experience we have of just kind of like, these guys go to all these gigantic banquets 
and they schmooze with like big donors and they have no idea of what's going on in my life, right? That, so regardless of where your politics are, this is what this is lamenting. It's just saying like, guys, when politics gets all about show and not about substance, it is a bad experience for the people. That's what's going on here then in the rest of these verses, right? It's talking about basically verses 18 and 19. The way I read that is just simply this. The house is falling down and people are just having, fun, having a party and they're having a fun time, right? That, so we've read earlier in the book where it's commending bread is made for laughter, right? Last week we were kind of like, ah, all you anti-gluten people, eat your bread for happiness, right? <laughs> we talk about wine and money, all that stuff. But this is saying it with a bit of an edge and saying, like, the house is legitimately falling down and they're just having a party. So, how do we see this as wisdom's politics are shrewd? When I, when I hear these things, I think of Jesus' statements of, right, be innocent as doves and shrewd as snakes. You don't have to say everything all the time about all topics, right? So, verse 20 even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, and some winged creature t- tell the truth. It's almost as though they had a, a Google or Alexa in their house telling um, Google and Amazon everything that you were saying already, before those things even existed. But what it's basically saying, you have to remember the Ecclesiastes and wisdom literature were written for kind of like the, the royal education, so you could have been in the hallway saying something to somebody and around the corner is, you know, Rasputin, who then goes and tells the king, and you're dead, right? That's, that's um, kind of the picture. But I think the application is basically saying, like, in our work situations where we have authority and submission situations, you don't got to air everything all the time. Like, just be a little bit smart. Like, you don't have to talk about how bad your manager is to all your employees and then wonder why you get fired <laughs> or don't get, don't get promoted or whatever, right? You just don't have to do that all the time. Like, you can kind of be shrewd and how you talk about dynamics and situations. I'm just saying, you do not have to. There is no obligation in being a person to air all of your opinions online, right? I have started to air less online just because it's like, I just, I don't want to say as much. I just want to talk about how good Jesus is. There are unnecessary risks to the gospel and airing everything out all the time because then the reality is, you're going to say something foolish, and then that's going to begin to create a, a, a tarnished witness for the gospel and the power of Jesus in your life. So, I don't have a lot more to say on that, but just to say, wisdom is shrewd. You don't have to say all things all the time. But, at the end of all this, we are still asking the question, what is wisdom? We have talked about how wisdom's presence brings peace, We've talked about how uh, wisdom's efforts are prudent, wisdom's words give life, and wisdom's wisdom's politics are shrewd. So what is wisdom? Where does it lead us? We're talking about the main point of this passage is to say, right, follow God's wisdoms for a lifetime of change. Well, I hope that we're getting kind of buffeted by each of these categories. But again, as we said earlier, the arc of all of this is that the wisdom of God is embodied in Jesus Christ himself. And so he is the one, if you look at Jesus' life, he is the one whose presence brings peace to those around him. His efforts are extraordinarily prudent. His politics are incredibly shrewd. 
remember his kingdom is not of this world, saying that to the powers of the world at the time. And his words most certainly do give life. And so as we wonder, okay, God, how do I process these things? The arc of wisdom is not only embodied in Jesus, but the pathway forward is paved by Jesus himself so that as we, imperfect as we are, find ourselves chafed, buffeted by one of these categories, we are walking a path of mercy before us that is paved by the Son of God himself to become more like him so that as we are changed by God's wisdom in our lives, we're actually changed not to just kind of be like a nebulous, life-giving speaker. We're actually, our words are, are shaped to be more like Jesus' words. Very shrewd, life-giving, piercing to the heart, seeing who people are. We become more like Jesus himself as we follow God's wisdom for a lifetime of change. And so I hope that's where we land as we kind of work through Ecclesiastes 10. We're going to finish up the book next week. So, that being said, let's pray, okay, guys? Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.